colloidal cysts are a congenital dilation of the biliary tree. The management of these cysts in the pediatric patient requires a keen understanding of both the anatomy and a suite of operative options. That's why today we are going to discuss the five types of colloidal cyst with an expert. There, in the literature, there is a type six, which is actually cystic dilation of the um, cystic duct itself, uh, but that's for the purposes of this discussion are probably uh, unnecessary. That's Dr. Alexander Bondak. He's a pediatric transplant surgeon at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and today he's going to walk us through everything you need to know about the workup and management of colloidal cysts in children. Some of the operative reconstructions can get a little tricky, so be sure to watch in the Stay Current app. We have all of the images posted below the media player so that you can follow along. Colloidal cyst is a core pathology in pediatric surgery, and it does have a female predominance. But the main difference in diagnostic incidence is where you are in the world. In uh, the Western world, it's about the incidence is about one in 100,000. But in Asia, specifically Eastern Asia, uh, it's actually a little, quite more, quite a bit more common, one in 13,000. When categorizing colloidal cysts, most commonly we refer to the Todani classification, and that's types one through five. These categories describe the location of the cysts and they give hints to the underlying pathophysiology. Types one and four, it is likely embryologic, uh, uh, relating to the pancreatic obiliary duct junction. Uh, also known as, in this scenario, pancreatic obiliary malunion. Now, keep in mind that pancreatic obiliary malunion is just one theory for the etiology of colloidal cysts. It's not a slam dunk, not even for Todani types 1 and 4. And it doesn't really explain why there's a higher incidence in the Far East. There's probably something else going on, like a congenital proliferation. Now, in adults, that common channel, or basically the confluence of the biliary pancreatic ducts, it's supposed to be less than 0.9 centimeters, but in the pediatric patient, any common channel is abnormal. And that is the cause for a lot of these issues. Reflux of pancreatic enzymes from obviously the head of the pancreas back into the biliary tree causes inflammation, degeneration, and epithelial changes. No genetic syndromes include colloidal cyst, but a type five cyst, otherwise known as Caroli's disease, does have an associated genetic gene mutation and PKD1. In type five, as mentioned previously, the genetic mutation might predispose to more diffuse dilation of both the intra and extrahepatic biliary trees. Let's dive into the Todani classification of these cysts. Don't worry, a chart with all these images is linked below the media player. Type one is a dilation of the common bile duct only, the extrahepatic common bile duct only. Um, and that can either be fusiform or saccular. Um, type two colloidal cyst is just a small diverticulum off of the common bile duct. Type three, or a colloidal seal, is a dilation of the common bile duct in the wall of the duodenum. Type four is divided into two types. Type 4A, which is multi a multitude of cysts, both in the intra and extrahepatic biliary tree, as well as um, and type 4B are multiple cysts, but uh, in the extrahepatic biliary tree only. Type 5, otherwise known as Caroli's disease, has diffuse cystic dilation. 
this can be diffusely throughout or it can be limited to one lobe of the, or one hemi liver. Now that we know how to refer to these cysts, discovery is key. The presenting symptoms depend on the age at presentation. Oftentimes in younger children, uh, such as infants, it's diagnosed incidentally on um, axial imaging or ultrasound imaging for other causes. In children, oftentimes, um, you will get symptoms consistent with um, cholangitis, such as jaundice or fever. Um, the patients also can have a palpable right upper quadrant mass. This sounds suspiciously like Charcot's triad, which means we could have a pretty sick kid on our hands. Luckily, this is a fairly uncommon presentation. Also uncommon, but disconcerting, is the idea of cystic perforation as a presenting symptom. Giant cysts that children are born with can actually perforate and present with biliary ascites. These large cloidocal cysts can be identified on a 20-week fetal ultrasound, and those are best referred to a fetal center for workup and close monitoring after birth. We need to be on the lookout for postnatal perforation and for a particular biliary atresia variant. That's something you don't want to miss. Uh, there was a recent citation that demonstrated that if a cyst was diagnosed prenatally and it was larger than four and a half centimeters at the 20 week um, anatomy scan, there was a higher rate of postnatal symptomatology. And the authors therefore made the conclusion that perhaps these patients may benefit from earlier intervention. In all children, the differential diagnosis for jaundice should include cloidocal cyst in addition to other gallstone disease. The workup is fairly standard for biliary pathology. Uh, lab standpoint, again, uh, with special attention to the patient's age, um, labs to check would be liver function tests, specifically with uh, total uh, direct and indirect bilirubin levels, as well as plus minus a CBC to look for evidence of uh, cholangitis or infection. These labs plus an abdominal ultrasound can be diagnostic. However, in infants, we also really need a liver biopsy. Liver biopsy does become critical if you're talking about a neonate uh, or a newborn, because again, as, as we discussed earlier, you have to rule out the cystic biliary atresia variant. Cannot miss that. While an ultrasound and labs are all we need to diagnose a cholidocal cyst, axial imaging such as a CT scan is needed before taking these kids to the operating room. Additionally, there are some cases where an MRCP may be useful for operative planning. If there are questions about anatomic details, uh, um, specifically, I like to use uh, an MRCP if there's um, high disease, meaning disease that's into the hilum or intrahepatic, to sort of get a better sense of um, how extensive the, the cystic change is. Got it, got it. Okay, so MRCP would be helpful to identify that variant biliary anatomy. Probably up to 15 to 20% of patients have some kind of variant um, uh, biliary tract um, anatomy. Axial imaging is useful preoperatively, and these images can identify when an ERCP can be both therapeutic and diagnostic. From a diagnostic and therapeutic standpoint, some patients will benefit from an ERCP. Um, but again, that oftentimes depends on what you see 
from prior scans as well as the type of colidocal cyst you're dealing with. Let's say I have a patient who comes in with jaundice and a palpable right upper quadrant mass. We get the labs, we get the imaging, and I diagnose a colidocal cyst. Surgery is really the only true treatment option, both to correct the aberrant anatomy and to prevent long-term complications. What you're trying to prevent when you have anatomic anomalies of the biliary tract, one significant complication that can occur is cholangitis. Um, if you have biliary stasis, you get superinfection, you end up, uh, these patients are prone to cholangitis. So we wanna reduce the risk of biliary cirrhosis and hepatic failure, but the really pressing concern is the risk for developing cholangiocarcinoma, which according to some studies can be as high as 26%. Even after surgical resection of these cysts, there, some studies suggest that there is still about a 4% lifetime risk of malignancy, which means that these patients need to be surveilled through their lifetime. Patients presenting acutely can have pancreatitis or cholangitis. Infection inflammation in the pancreatic biliary tree can make for a hostile surgical field. And you know what they say, don't mess with the pancreas. Certainly, if, you, if a patient presents um, actively infected with pancreatitis, cholangitis, or in some sort of acute way, your best case scenario is to cool those patients off and treat, their, treat the underlying process. If the lesion is found incidentally, resection is not really an emergency, but it is better to schedule surgery sooner rather than later. But that gives you ample opportunity to gather all of the necessary preoperative evaluation. The workup includes a basic set of laboratory values. Preoperative imaging, which is most likely an MRCP. Um, and evaluation to ensure that there's no other disease process occurring. For example, we definitely do not want to miss cystic biliary atresia. Now, one thing you could do is you could just verify that the baby is having pigmented stools. The surgical approach for colloidocal cyst really depends on the type, but the overall goal is the same, a complete excision of cystic elements. Type one and type four, because of what we discussed regarding um, the anomalies of the pancreatic, uh, pancreaticobiliary anatomy, uh, the goals here are to remove as much of the duct uh, as possible. And when I say that, that oftentimes um, that always takes you behind the head of the pancreas or into the head of the pancreas because the key here is to take the duct all the way down to where it tapers into very little um, so as not to leave remnant cyst. Usually the preoperative MRCP is enough to tell you where that taper behind the pancreas is hiding, but if the imaging isn't totally clear, you're not exactly sure, or there's some really aberrant anatomy, you have another option that is rarely used, but you could do an intraoperative cholangiogram. Through the gallbladder, so that I try to truly understand um, where the tapering of the distal cyst occurs so that we're not leaving anything extra. Reconstruction can include a hepaticoduodenostomy or Dr. Bondock's preference, a hepaticojejunostomy. For type one and type four cysts, you also have to reconstruct the uh, biliary drainage system. Oftentimes this will include a Roux and Y hepaticojejunostomy, but a hepaticoduodenostomy has also, is also an option and has been described. 
Scroll down below the media player. That's where we have animations to further detail the typical Rue Y hepatocogagenostomy reconstruction and the normal two anastomoses. Once the cyst is resected, then we work towards uh, reconstructing the biliary outflow. I personally like to do um, Rue Y hepatocogagenostomies. So the way we, uh, I construct those in my, prox uh, my practices, I usually go about 15 to 20 centimeters distal from the ligament of trice or whatever you think will be comfortable and allow reach uh, of the root limb up to the um, um, hepatic hilum. Then um, perform a uh, jejuno jejunostomy uh, if the child allows it and is the child size allows it in two layers and then do a um, uh, hepaticojejunostomy uh, with interrupted uh, absorbable suture, usually 5-0 or 6-0 maxon. This reconstruction does leave a defect in the small bowel mesentery. Depending on the size, some surgeons may choose to leave the defect alone, but others will close it to prevent complications related to internal hernias later on. I don't usually biopsy the liver unless there's something obvious, but I do close the mesentery. Type 2 cloidocal cysts require resection of the diverticulum and a primary repair of the common bile duct. Type 3, now that is where ERCP and sphincterotomy can be therapeutic in some cases. But sometimes, it's just not that easy. If the, if the lesion is, is large uh, and obstructing the, the uh, common duct, you oftentimes have to go transduodenal uh, and carefully identify, sometimes even with preoperative stents um, that, are in, that can be inserted uh, from an ERCP standpoint um, in order to uh, resect the cyst in, uh, from the, separate it from the duodenum and subsequently reconstruct uh, the outflow. Type 5 requires a little more workup to determine the best operation to achieve complete cystic resection. And that may even require a liver transplant. If the cystic burden is uh, limited to a, uh, one side of the hemi liver or would allow for um, um, resection and residual um, adequate liver remnant, as well as uh, preserve biliary outflow, you can address it surgically with a liver resection. However, if it's uh, if the cystic disease is diffuse and throughout the liver, uh, you may have to consider having that patient evaluated for liver transplantation. The good news is postoperatively, these patients do really well. They have an NG tube for about 24 hours to protect that new jejunal anastomosis, and they have temporary biliary drains until they're eating a regular diet, so you can catch any leaks from that hepaticojejunostomy. Otherwise, the postoperative complications are pretty standard for any abdominal operation. They do have an additional risk for recurrent cholangitis due to the connection between the biliary tree and the enteric system. Certain even short-term to long-term surgical complications uh, can include an anastomotic stricture, uh, small bowel obstruction um, from uh, intra-abdominal surgery, uh, as well as um, reflux gastritis. Um, other things that can occur, as, as discussed above, would be recurrent cholangitis due to having a um, you know, direct connection between the biliary tree and the enteric system. Prophylactically, patients are put on Bactrim. Actigal can also be helpful postoperatively, but that may be more institution-specific. 
Most importantly, these kids grow up and they need long-term follow-up. That is critical. The need for lifelong follow-up for these patients uh, because of the possibility of developing, uh, while albeit small, the thought is there still is a, a very real possibility um, for future malignancy even after resection of the cyst itself. Thanks for joining us for a review of colloidal cyst and the myriad of surgical options based on the Todani classification. Remember to check the link below for access to the entire lecture and all the images that we discussed in this episode. Follow us on social media, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, check us out on Twitter or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're listening, leave a comment below. Tell us what you like, what you didn't like, what you want to hear more of in the future. Until then, this is Brittany, and remember, knowledge should be free.